Before we get into the sermon, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into it. God, you are good, and you alone are good. We are thankful for this time we can look to your word, that we can study and grow in knowledge and in wisdom. We pray that your spirit would fill us, that your spirit would constantly sanctify us, that we would also grow in love for one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before, uh, before, 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 preachers often do this, um, before we get into the sermon, one thing I do want to say uh, is that if you aren't already, I encourage you to attend class. We are going to be doing a class series on communion, right? So what is communion? Uh, what is the practice of communion? And we're going to walk together as we study communion and consider how we can make it a time of fellowship, right? Because the, the word itself in Scripture means fellowship. So how can communion here be a time of fellowship? And then obviously outside of these doors, outside of these walls, how are we to fellowship and be in communion with one another, but most importantly, be in communion with God. So if you don't already, it, I think it'd be very important for you to attend class because I think this is something, this is a practice, uh, this is a part of being the body of Christ that we uh, don't really think about too much, at least not as much as we should, and I think we have a misconception about what communion is. Anyway, that being said, we're resuming, we're picking up where we left off in John chapter 10, the middle of the chapter. And you know, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has by, been no means silent about who he is. He's been pretty clear, right? John 1, 51, he says that he's the Son of Man. John 2, 16, Son of God. John 3, 19, the light of the world. John 4, 25 and 26, Messiah. John 6, 33 and 46, bread of God or bread of life. John 6, 53, food and drink. John 8, 24, 28, and 58, I am, three times, he says that. John 10, 7, the door of the sheepfold. And John 10, 11, the good shepherd. All right, so now some of these explanations, uh, these, these titles that he claims, they're a little more clear than others. But it's not that he hasn't been clear to the Pharisees and to the Jews. He has been. He's told them pretty plainly that, hey, I am, right, claiming that divine name. He's been clear with them, and they know this. Right, we cover this in John chapter 5, verse 18, that says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Right, so they knew. Jesus has been clear with them. They know what he claims, who he claims to be. And in John chapter 10, the middle of the chapter, uh, we're going to see this again. A lot of the Jews do not like what Jesus has to say because what he has to say means that he is more than Messiah. So John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 22, the text says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. All right, so apparently it's the Feast of Dedication, and it seems that John chapter 10, this chapter is one event. Right? The first half of the chapter directly connects to the second half of the chapter, because in John chapter 10, verse 27, he says, it's not in the slides, but he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Right? He was just talking about this. Right? He had this metaphor of the sheep and him being the door and the shepherd of the sheep. So it seems that John chapter 10 is one whole connected event. But there seems to have been a time jump somewhere uh, between John chapter 7 and John chapter 10, because in John chapter 7, Jesus, he's at the Feast of Booths, which is 
two months before the Feast of Dedication. All right, so within these chapters, between John chapter 7 and John chapter 10, two months have passed. All right, so where was that time jump? It's hard to say, but you've got to keep in mind that John, the writer of the Gospel of John, he's not recording every single detail. He's not recording every single event. He's very purposeful. He's very intentional with, with the passages he connects. But now we're at the Feast of Dedication. What is this Feast of Dedication? I think often people don't realize and don't think about the historical context too much, but there's a reason behind this. Uh, modern, modern day, this is referred to as Hanukkah, right? We know that, Hanukkah. But the reason for this, the reason for this feast, the reason for Hanukkah uh, has a very important historical context. Before 165 B.C., before 165 B.C., the Jews, they were brutally ruled by Greek kings, and Antiochus Epiphanes was the emperor of what, was, what is called the Seleucid Empire. So if you can see that on the map there, you see the Seleucid Empire. It covers Israel, it covers uh, Syria, it covers Iraq, Iran, a little bit of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, right? So that was the Seleucid Empire. Antiochus Epiphanes was the emperor of the Seleucid Empire, and essentially he forced the Jews to stop making sacrifices to God he brutally persecuted them, and he sacrificed a pig on their altar to desecrate the temple, right? So to say the least, the Jews at this time were very harshly persecuted, killed, and really completely disrespected. He sacrificed a pig on their altar. But then Judah Maccabee, uh, it was a Jewish man, Judah Maccabee and his brothers, they rose up, they got an army together, and they fought against the Seleucids and miraculously won, though they were steeply outnumbered. So then in 165 BC, they cleansed and they rededicated the temple to God, and that's why the feast is called the Feast of Dedication, because they rededicated the temple to God in 165 BC. And then for just over 100 years, they had this time of independence, right? They were an independent nation, but then that came to an end in 63 BC when the Romans came in. All right, so that historical context, hold on to that. It's going to be important in just a second. But verse 23 says, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. If you have notes or if you take notes, take note of Acts 3. Write down in your notes Acts 3, Acts chapter 5, verses 11 through 16. This location, the temple of, or the, the colonnade of Solomon, sometimes it's called the portico of Solomon, sometimes called the porch of Solomon. The apostles later on in Acts do amazing works in this exact location. Right, so it's a little significant to me, at least, that Jesus, he's here, he's appealing to these Jews, they, they want to kill him, they want to stone him, but then later on you see Jesus' apostles, they're doing amazing works and winning people over to Christ. So take note of that, because later on that has significance in the uh, book of Acts. John chapter 10, verse 24, we'll continue on, it says, So the Jews gathered around him, and they said to him, they said to Jesus, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Like, what, expense, what, is, what suspense? Right? He's come from every single angle, different ways to try and describe who he is. He's told them plainly, hey, I am, I am God. What do you mean suspense? Tell us plainly if you are the Christ, the Messiah. Now, keep in mind, the, the words that you sometimes see is Christ and Messiah, those are the same Greek word, meaning the anointed one, the one that they've been waiting so long for to deliver them. So think about the historical context there. Right, just under 200 years ago, they beat the Seleucids and gained some independence. Ninety-some years ago, they were made subjects to the Romans. So here they are, the Feast of Dedication, celebrating how they defeated the Seleucids and had their freedom. 
but they're under Roman occupation. <laughs> right? They're celebrating freedom. They're celebrating their independence, even though they don't actually have independence. And so they say to Jesus, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, if you are the one who's to deliver us, tell us plainly. This is a people who's not free. This is the people who once had freedom, who miraculously defeated this pretty powerful nation, but now they're subjects. See, the historical context gives that question a whole lot more weight. Are you the Christ? Come on, we've been suffering. Time and time again throughout history, there's this people that comes in and they take control of us. Are you the one who's going to deliver us? You can see why the historical context adds so much more meaning. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Right? He says, I've told you and I've shown you. Right, we've seen this already in the Gospel of John, John chapter 7, verse 46. John 7, verse 46, this is the officers that were sent to arrest Jesus. They say, no one ever spoke like this man. Right? He's completely unique. The, the things that he claims, nobody's like him. Nobody claims this. Nobody's crazy enough to claim what Jesus claims. And then John chapter 9, verse 32, this is the blind man, the formerly blind man. He says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. So right, Jesus, he, he's completely unique in what he says, how he talks, how he teaches. And not only that, but what he does is completely unique. Nobody does what he does. Nobody can heal the people that he heals. Nobody has ever done such things. So he has told them and he has shown them that he is indeed the Messiah. You have my answer. Right? He's basically telling them, you have my answer. It's clear by my actions and by my deeds, uh, by my words, that I am the Messiah, but not in the way that they want. Because right? in their mind, as they're celebrating this feast of dedication while they're uh, under Roman occupation, they think of, man, I, I want somebody to free us now. <laughs> I want somebody to get these Romans out of here so we can have our independence, so we can be a powerful nation uh, that we thought that we were promised to be. That's what we want. That's the Messiah we want to establish us as a worldly power. Jesus is not the Messiah that they want. In fact, he is much more. Verse 26 but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Right, so they don't believe in Christ for who he is. Now that there can be translated as you are not believing. It's in the present tense. You are not believing, presently believing, because you are not among my sheep. They're not sheep right now. right? Maybe, maybe later on they, they come to belief in Christ, but right now they're not sheep. Sheep don't say, hey, you're insane, Jesus. Sheep don't point other people away from Jesus. Sheep trust, sheep follow. Verse 27, continue on, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Right? Sheep follow Jesus because they can identify, they know his voice. As we read in verse 5 of chapter 10, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of Strangers, sheep are not pulled by all these different voices. They are focused on the voice of Christ. And it's no mystery that there's a lot of voices out there. A whole lot of voices trying to pull you in one direction or another. Sheep are focused on Christ's voice. Right? It's a little bit, you know, I think about how I'm telling you that right now, and I think about how each week I come up here and I preach 
And my hope is certainly that what I am saying points you to the voice of Christ. But in my mind, in the back of my mind, I know that, man, if I am not pointing you to, if you are so reliant on my voice, on my preaching, man, I, I haven't done the job. Right? If my preaching doesn't point you to the voice of Christ, and if you're not uh, primarily concerned with His voice, then man, I don't know what I'm doing up here. I, I've witnessed on many occasions um, at my own home church when, when I was obviously a kid, um, I've witnessed on many occasions people relying so much on the voice of a preacher. Um, and then when the preacher you know, either disappoints them uh, or when the preacher goes off, uh, then people are so broken and don't know what to do, don't know what the, where to go. And it's upsetting to me because, man, that just shows they were so reliant on the voice of a preacher. So, you know, I, you know I'm going to do my best and I, I'm going to try to point you to the voice of Christ, but don't look to me, okay? In the beginning of the Gospel of John, we see John the Baptist and his whole mission was just to, hey, look, there's the Messiah. Right? Follow him. Right? The reality is, I don't want you to really rely on me in that way. Hopefully I'm here and I can help you bear your burdens, I can love on y'all, but man, at the end of the day, your primary support, the person who you should really be relying on, is not me. It's not me. It's Christ. It's Christ. There are a lot of voices out there, but sheep focus on Jesus' voice. Verse 28, he continues, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You can have absolute certainty. You can have absolute certainty about your salvation, right? I think this is something that maybe we we don't get right sometimes, because we talk about like, oh, you can't have absolute certainty about your salvation, but apparently you can. Jesus himself is saying here, I give my sheep eternal life, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand hand. Right? You can have absolute certainty because of who Christ is and what he does. And this is one thing Robert Peake emphasized in a sermon a few weeks ago. We missed the point. Right? We missed the point if we say, oh, I don't know if I've done enough. You can't do enough. Salvation is not on the basis of works. You're secure in Christ because he has you in his hand. Trust him. We're missing the point if we trust ourselves, we can be sure about our salvation because He has us in His hand. Verse 29, he continues on, My Father has given them to me and is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now if the Father, think about this, if the Father gives the Son, uh, He places the sheep in the hand of the Son, how are then the sheep in the hand of both the Father and the Son? Because that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's given them to me in my hand, but they're in the Father's hand. No one can snatch them from my hand, and no one can snatch them from the hand of the Father. How is that so? I think verse 30 answers. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Right, that's how. Him and the Father are one. They are a unity. That is how the sheep are simultaneously in the hand of the Son and in the hand of the Father. And then the Jews respond in verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Right? Again, 
time and time again throughout the Gospels, they want to kill him. And think about this contrast here. I think this is intentional. Jesus, he's got, he's got the sheep in his hand. He, he gives them eternal life. But then here are these Jews. They, they pick up stones in their hands to take life. Right? Notice how different they are. Jesus and the, the, these Jews that want to kill him. Jesus has the sheep in his hands to give life. They have stones in their hands to take life. So Jesus responds to them. Verse 32. I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which one of them are you going to stone me? Really, you're going to stone me for all that? You just saw a blind man who is now seeing? That's why you're going to stone me? They tell Jesus why they want to stone him. In verse 33, the Jews answered him, It is not for good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Right? Blasphemy. You're lying. Uh, you're, you're uttering something that goes against God. Blasphemy. And according to their law in Leviticus 24, Leviticus 24, verses 15 and 16, and speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Right? So if Jesus, if they're right, if, they're, if their presumption is right, then yeah, according to their law, they should stone Jesus, but are they right? Obviously, no. They're not right about him being blasphemous, but are they right? Think about this. Are they right in understanding that Jesus is making a claim to be God? Yes. Or we've already seen this in John chapter 8. Three times in John chapter 8, Jesus claimed the divine name. Just then in verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. So yes, Jesus is pretty clear. Jesus is pretty clear about him claiming to be God. So let's see how Jesus responds to their accusation, though, in verses 34 and 36. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? What is Jesus trying to say here, right? Where are you going with this? It doesn't really make sense at first. And here's my take. Uh, key words, my take. Right, I could be wrong. This might not be what's in mind here, but maybe there's something to it. Psalm 82. This is what Jesus quotes from. Psalm 82, verse 1. We're going to kind of walk through this text here from where Jesus, Jesus quotes. Verse 1 says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Note that God is in the midst of lowercase g gods. Lowercase g, that's very important to remember. God is in the midst, meaning among lowercase g, gods, and he holds his judgment. Verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Uh, who does that sound like? Mankind, obviously. Continue on, verse 3. Give justice to the weak and the fathers. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Now, in the New Testament, who does that sound like? Sounds a lot like Jesus. Sounds a lot like what Jesus does. Verse 5 says, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. That sounds a lot like mankind. Verse 6, I said, this is what Jesus quotes here, I said, you are gods, lowercase g, God, son of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. So back to John chapter 10, thinking about that. 
Jesus provides some interpretation here, and he's saying that when, when the lowercase g God is used, he's referring to mankind. And so what did Psalm 82 verse 1 just say? God is holding judgment amidst, among, lowercase g gods, mankind. Verse 8 of Psalm 82, it says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So in Psalm 82, what do we see? We see that God, he's holding judgment amidst lowercase g gods. Jesus understands that's referring to mankind. And then at the end of that chapter, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Who inherits the nations? Revelation 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Back to John chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. Again, that text says, If he called them gods, lowercase g gods, to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So I think here, Jesus, he's basically saying, I'm God amidst you. Right, Psalm 82, I'm God amidst these lowercase g gods pronouncing judgment. I'm God who inherits the nations. They asked whether he was Messiah. He answers, no, I'm much more. Yes, I'm Messiah, but I'm much more than Messiah. And he continues, verses 37 and 38, If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Right? If I don't do the works of God, meaning these works that can only be explained by the power of God, you have no reason to believe me. You have no reason to believe me. And here's the thing. Jesus here, he's making another appeal to them. Right? These Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these Jews, they, they have stones in their hands. They're, they want to throw them at Jesus. But Jesus, he's holding out on them. Jesus is so patient. Or talking to people who want to kill them, he's holding out them, and man, just believe. If you don't believe me, just at least believe in the works. Right? Believe in the works that you may come to know and that you may understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Now in the Greek, it's a little bit interesting there. The words we have translated as no one understand, they're the same word in the Greek. So it's kind of like he's saying that you may know and that you may continue knowing. But if it's at least, if you just start with believing the works, and maybe you'll come to know, and then you'll continue to know that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And look at their immediate response. Verse 39. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. I had a negative response. But, at least they're not wanting to stone him right now. They just want to arrest him, so maybe there's a, an extent to which they, they softened a little bit. But regardless, it's not a great response. It's a negative response. If the chapter were to end there, it wouldn't be a good outlook for them, but the chapter doesn't end. Verses 40 through 42 say, He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him. Many came to him, meaning the many from that crowd, this crowd of Jews that wanted to stone him, many came to him, Many came to him, and many believed in him there. Right? Many came to him, and they said, John did, not, did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. Right? Back to where John had many disciples. Right? And John was pointing to Christ, saying, hey, look, there, there's the Lamb of God. I'm not the Christ, that's the Christ. So back to where that happened, and now many of these Jews that wanted to kill him are now coming to him. 
Though Jesus did say, hey, you're, you're not currently sheep, you're not believing in me because you're not sheep, but now, hey, look, many are coming. Many are believing, many are believing that he is Messiah, but he is much more than Messiah. He is God. He's God. So believe. Believe that he is deliverer, but believe that he is much more than deliverer. You can as we stand and sing.